0: Welcome to Raising Celiac, a podcast dedicated to raising the standard of education, awareness, and research on celiac disease and related autoimmune conditions. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod, the Education Director of the Celiac Program at Boston Children's Hospital. At each month on the podcast, we will invite leading experts to dive into a condition related to celiac and look at how it impacts a patient family, the latest research, and offers suggestions for health providers to manage these complex cases. Every episode of the Raising Celiac podcast is accredited by the Boston Children's Hospital Continuing Education Department for 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits for physicians, 0.5 contact hours for nurses, 0.5 ACE CE Continuing Education credits for social workers, and 0.5 CEUs for registered dietitians. To claim your credits for listening to today's episode, please visit dme.childrenshospital.org slash Raising Celiac. Let's get started with this month's Raising Celiac patient story.
1: Isabella, or Bella as her friends and family call her, had a very medically complicated childhood. It started when she was born six weeks early because her mom went into preterm labor. Her lungs weren't quite developed enough and she had trouble regulating her body temperature, so she was stuck in the NICU for several weeks before coming home to her farm animal themed nursery. As a baby, Bella had febrile seizures with every virus. She was in the hospital so many times, the nurses in the pediatric intensive care unit quickly became some of her biggest fans. When she started eating solid food, it seemed as though she had an anaphylactic reaction to every few foods she tried. Dairy, eggs, peas, apples, strawberries, and peanut butter, to name a few. She was always sick as a kid. If there was any illness going around her school, Bella was sure to get it. Over the years, Bella outgrew most of her allergies, which made life a lot easier. But when she started college, she found herself with a belly so bloated and gassy that her roommate started calling her Bloated Bella. She regularly had terrible diarrhea and found it extremely challenging to gain weight. When she was home for spring break, her mom took her in for a visit with the pediatrician. But his initial thought was that she was eating unhealthy food in the college dining hall, and she should focus on eating more fruits and vegetables. Bella rolled her eyes at her pediatrician. Sure, she ate her fair share of pizza and nachos, but she also ate salads, grilled veggie sandwiches on whole wheat bread, and drank fruit smoothies. She didn't think she was that unhealthy.
0: Celiac disease is triggered by consumption of gluten, the protein found in wheat, rye, and barley. In people with celiac disease, gluten damages the lining of the intestines. This can prevent them from absorbing important nutrients in food and cause a variety of symptoms like gas, bloating, and diarrhea, to name a few.
1: Bella continued on with the school year and returned home for the summer to her hometown, just north of Washington, D.C. That summer, she had landed an internship with her state's U.S. senator, and she couldn't wait to get started. During her first week on the job, she was eating lunch in the Senate cafeteria, when she overheard one of her co-interns asking about gluten-free food options. When her colleague Amy sat down at the table, Bella asked her why she needed to eat gluten-free food. Amy told her that her entire childhood she had stomach issues and she was finally diagnosed with celiac disease in high school. After starting a gluten-free diet, she felt better in just a few weeks. Amy's mom also had celiac disease. Bella couldn't help but wonder if maybe she too had celiac. Celiac wandered around Bella's mind for about three weeks before she mentioned it to her mom. Instantly, her mom's eyes lit up and she blurted out, I think Uncle Adam was diagnosed with celiac disease last year. A quick phone call later, she confirmed that her mother's brother had been diagnosed. But his main symptoms were fatigue and iron deficiency. He never had stomach issues. Bella pulled out her laptop and started doing research. She quickly learned that celiac disease is a genetically mediated autoimmune condition, and that people experience symptoms very differently. One person could have diarrhea, and another could be constipated.
0: Doctors haven't yet figured out exactly how someone develops celiac disease. They do know that children with celiac inherit the genetic risk from a parent that makes them susceptible to the disease. But since many people have these genes but never develop celiac disease, it's likely that other factors play a part too. Some researchers believe that celiac disease may be triggered by the combination of having the genes that make you susceptible, exposure to gluten, and exposure to a toxin or infection such as the rotavirus. Regardless of what triggers celiac disease, it remains unclear why people experience symptoms in such different ways.
1: Now 19 years old, Bella decided it was time to see an adult practitioner, so she had her mom make an appointment for her with an adult primary care physician. One week later she had her blood drawn and two days later the doctor called to tell her that her tissue transglutaminous antibody test was positive and she needed to schedule a visit with a gastroenterologist to confirm the celiac disease diagnosis. She did and two weeks later had a positive biopsy for celiac disease. Bella immediately transitioned to a gluten-free diet. Within a month she felt like a new person. Her stomach was no longer bloated, she had normal bowel movements, and her once embarrassing gas had faded away. Life was good.
0: The only treatment for celiac disease is strict adherence to a gluten-free diet for life. This will allow the intestine to heal and, in almost all cases, eliminate the symptoms related to celiac disease. For some people, relief of symptoms happens very quickly, in a matter of weeks. For others, it can take quite a bit more time, up to two years or
1: longer, Everything seemed to be going well for Bella. She graduated college, started a job at a nonprofit working on health care policy in Washington, DC, and had an active social life. She met her now husband while playing kickball on the National Mall by the Washington Monument, and they were married in a ceremony overlooking the Potomac River. Life was great until after Bella had her second child. Long after she had stopped nursing, she was still losing her hair in large amounts, and no matter how early she went to bed, she never felt like she got a good night's sleep. She was intensely fatigued. Perhaps worst of all, she got hives all the time for no apparent reason. Her doctor was stumped and sent her to an allergist and immunologist for further investigation. At the first visit, the physician ordered several blood panels and took a skin biopsy of one of Bella's hives. When the doctor called her a few days later with the results, Bella couldn't believe what he said. She likely had an issue with her thyroid called autoimmune thyroiditis, more popularly known as Hashimoto disease. Bella felt defeated and depressed. She worked so hard to manage a strict gluten-free diet, yet still ended up with another autoimmune disease.
0: Hashimoto disease is an autoimmune disorder that can cause hypothyroidism or underactive thyroid. It's closely linked to celiac disease. With Hashimoto, the immune system attacks the thyroid gland, with large number of white blood cells building up and causing inflammation in the thyroid. This damages the thyroid and prevents it from making enough thyroid hormone. The hormone is important because it helps control how your body grows, uses energy, and how many of your organs function. The symptoms of hypothyroidism and celiac overlap somewhat, but the treatments are different. With celiac disease, the only treatment is a strict gluten-free diet. Hypothyroidism is treated with a medication called levothyroxine, which is a form of the thyroid hormone T4 that the body normally produces. Like the gluten-free diet, levothyroxine is usually a lifelong treatment. The prevalence of autoimmune thyroid disease in patients with celiac disease is four times greater than that in the general population. This is likely due to sharing of the same genes. But why did Bella develop a second autoimmune disease 14 years after being on a strict gluten-free diet? Did having celiac disease trigger the thyroid condition, or did her pregnancies? Did the gluten-free diet help with treating thyroid disease, or is medication always needed? We'll discuss this and more on today's episode of Raising Celiac. Today, we talk about celiac disease and thyroid issues with Dr. Ari Wasner from Boston Children's Hospital. Dr. Wassner is the medical director of the Thyroid Center, director of the Endocrinology Fellowship Training Program at Boston Children's, and associate professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. He earned his MD from Harvard Medical School and completed a residency in pediatrics and fellowship in pediatric endocrinology at Boston Children's Hospital. Dr. Wasner is an international expert in pediatric thyroid disease, serving for the American Thyroid Association Pediatric Thyroid Cancer Guidelines Task Force and the writing group of the American Academy of Pediatrics Congenital Hypothyroidism Guidelines. Welcome Dr. Wassner to Raising Celiac.
2: Great to be here.
0: So Dr. Wasner, before we talk about how these conditions are connected, let's talk just about thyroid disease. What are the different types and how do you differentiate among them?
2: So, the thyroid is a gland as many people may know thyroid is a gland that lives in your neck and it makes a hormone that's important for regulating a lot of different organs so the main types of thyroid problems that we think about are either an underactive thyroid that doesn't make enough hormone which we call hypothyroidism or an overactive thyroid that makes too much hormone which we call hyperthyroidism there are also thyroid nodules in cancer but that's sort of a different class of disorders. So we're mostly talking about functional thyroid problems, hypo and hyperthyroidism.
0: What are the most common symptoms of thyroid disease?
2: Yeah, so one of the challenges we have in my field in endocrinology is that a lot of the symptoms of thyroid problems are what we would call non-specific, meaning they can be caused by a lot of other things too. So the thyroid and thyroid hormone is responsible for, you can think of it as sort of setting the rate or the pace of a lot of different body functions. So when your thyroid is underactive a lot of things slow down so you may feel tired fatigued low energy people may feel colder than usual it slows down your metabolic rate so people may gain weight they may have a lower heart rate things like that and if your thyroid is overactive tends to be the opposite so people feel speeded up in general they may lose weight unintentionally they may feel hot they may have frequent bowel movements i didn't mention but hypothyroidism you may have slower gut motility, so you're, you may have constipation. So there's sort of two sides of the coin.
0: So every gastroenterologist that specializes in celiac disease routinely tests their celiac patient's thyroid levels. Why is this important?
2: Yeah. So celiac disease, as people may know, is, is an immune disorder, right? So it's sort of an immune dysregulation. And the most common cause of thyroid problems is an autoimmune thyroid disease. And so people who have celiac disease, they have this immune dysregulation, they may be more at risk for autoimmune problems in the thyroid which can cause hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism. So that's it's, the link is an immune link and that's why people with celiac disease are at higher risk for thyroid problems.
0: So tell our listeners more about the connection between celiac disease and thyroid conditions. Why are they so closely linked?
2: Yeah, so as best we understand, the reason has to do as I mentioned with the immune system. right? So Celiac is this sort of immune reaction to a particular component of gluten. So the immune system gets a little bit confused and has an abnormal reaction to that particular substance in the GI tract. The most common cause of thyroid problems, as I said, is something called autoimmune thyroiditis, which is the immune system similarly getting kind of confused and starting to attack your own thyroid gland. And so some of the genetic predisposition to these kind of immune problems are the same. The same kinds of genetic variants that might contribute to your risk of celiac disease also contribute to the risk of having the autoimmune problem in your thyroid. And so those who have celiac are probably at risk for thyroid problems and vice versa. Those who have thyroid problems are probably at higher risk for developing celiac disease.
0: Do you also routinely screen for celiac disease in your thyroid patients?
2: So. Not necessarily, that's not a sort of routine recommendation at this point. Autoimmune thyroid disease is extremely common. There are some estimates that maybe five to 10% of the adult population have autoimmune thyroid disease. Not all of that needs to be treated, but it's there. And so there's not a recommendation necessarily to routinely screen everybody with thyroid disease for celiac. However, certainly something that we think about and we ask people about symptoms and if there's anything that raises concern for possible celiac disease in one of our thyroid patients, we would certainly test for it.
0: Is hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism more common in patients with celiac disease?
2: So overall hypothyroidism, so underactive thyroid is much more common than hyperthyroidism or overactive thyroid. And that's true in general and within the celiac population. So hypothyroidism definitely more common.
0: Are there more common symptoms of thyroid disease in patients with celiac disease, or do they vary?
2: Yeah, so I'm not aware of any studies showing a sort of a different spectrum of symptoms in the celiac population than in sort of the general population with thyroid disorders. So the challenge, I think, is as I mentioned, so a lot of the symptoms of thyroid disease, as I mentioned, like fatigue, you know, changes in bowel movements, they can, there can be mood symptoms, energy. Those could be thyroid-related, but they are also can be caused by lots of other things, right? Problems with sleep or, you know, celiac or any number of other things. And so teasing out in a given person, if they're, say, feeling low energy or fatigue, whether it's really thyroid or really celiac or what it is, can be a little tricky. And so we have to often do some testing and try to figure out where is that symptom coming from.
0: So for our patient bella she was diagnosed with celiac disease first and it was many years later she was diagnosed with hashimoto is it typical that celiac is diagnosed first or can thyroid disease come first
2: yeah so just to clarify I use the word hashimoto so hashimoto is sort of a term that we use for autoimmune thyroiditis so what, what i call autoimmune thyroiditis that is the autoimmune inflammation in the thyroid I typically call that autoimmune thyroiditis but very commonly it's referred to just as Hashimoto disease after Dr. Hashimoto so we sort of use that as a shorthand so the question is you know which comes first it can happen in either order so it's common either way you know as i mentioned the sort of genetic predisposition to these two conditions are somewhat shared and so it's a little bit random you know whether for people who are going to develop both which one they happen to develop first but certainly If you have either of those conditions, you want to be on the lookout for the other. As you mentioned, in the folks with celiac disease, there's sort of an active effort to look for thyroid disease.
0: Do you know what triggers thyroid disease?
2: (laughs) I I do not. I wish I did. (laughs) Nobody, Nobody really knows. But at least the type we're talking about, autoimmune thyroiditis or Hashimoto, it is in this family of autoimmune disorders, right, like celiac and so you know in many others lupus and many of these other autoimmune diseases and so we know that there is a genetic predisposition so people many people have genetic changes that make them more likely to develop it but just because you have those genetic changes doesn't mean you will definitely develop thyroid disease so there's probably other factors many people think there's environmental factors but we don't know exactly what those environmental factors are as for many of these disorders so We don't know exactly what triggers it, some combination of genetic predisposition and some other perhaps environmental factors that we don't understand yet.
0: So for patients like Bella who were diagnosed with thyroid disease long after the celiac diagnosis and are on a strict gluten-free diet, did the celiac cause the thyroid condition? I think there's an element of frustration when you're on a gluten-free diet and you've been told that your gut is healed, but then you still develop another autoimmune disease
2: yeah no i think that that's true and certainly i see it from the other side right folks who have treated thyroid disease who then develop celiac so you know as i sort of alluded to it's not really that one is causing the other right it's not that the thyroid disease is causing the celiac or celiac is causing thyroid disease more that the two conditions share a common genetic predisposition or familial predisposition And so if you had one already you probably are someone who is more likely to develop the other But it's not like you know, if you develop thyroid disease after celiac, it's not like you're doing something wrong or you're you know you're not being treated adequately for your celiac. It's just that you were probably a person who was predisposed to be more likely to get thyroid disease also.
0: So the gluten-free diet doesn't prevent development of thyroid disease.
2: No, unfortunately not. And that's actually a very common question. A lot of folks, even folks who don't have celiac disease, but do have autoimmune thyroiditis are curious about, are there any kind of changes they can make to help ease that problem or prevent them from going on to require thyroid medicine? And gluten-free diet is something that often comes up. But at this point, there's no real evidence that any specific diet, including gluten-free diet, actually prevents the development of thyroid disease or prevents it from, if it's there, prevents it from getting worse. So folks who have just thyroid disease, not celiac, we don't typically recommend that they use a gluten-free diet or adhere to a gluten-free diet just for that reason.
0: I think it's definitely a frustrating point for people with celiac disease being that we say stick to the gluten-free diet to prevent developing, you know, complications of the disease. And in this case, it really isn't helping to prevent it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And the way I think about it is they really are separate disorders, right? They don't necessarily, one doesn't cause the other and the treatment for one doesn't unfortunately, help prevent the other. They're separate diseases, but they share a common predisposition. And so that piece, we don't really have a good way to address at this stage.
0: Does the gluten-free diet help improve symptoms of thyroid disease, or is medication always required?
2: So similarly, right, the gluten-free diet is really a treatment for celiac disease. It doesn't directly affect the thyroid at all, really. The second part of your question of does thyroid disease always require treatment is a little bit different which is you know, there are plenty of people who have autoimmune thyroiditis or Hashimoto's, meaning inflammation in the thyroid, but it hasn't yet gotten to the point that the thyroid is underactive. So the thyroid is a little bit inflamed, but it's still working fine. Those folks don't really need treatment. They may progress over time, right? They may go on, the thyroid inflammation to get worse, and they may eventually need treatment. But it's not necessarily everybody who has autoimmune thyroiditis needs treatment. It's only when it gets to the point of the thyroid being underactive, that treatment is needed. When that happens though, the treatment is specifically a thyroid treatment, typically levothyroxine, which is just replacing your normal thyroid hormone. That would be the treatment that would be needed if it got to that point.
0: There are very, very few medications that contain gluten as a binder, but one that does is some generic forms of Synthroid. How can physicians help their patients with celiac and thyroid ensure they're getting a gluten-free version of the medication?
2: So this definitely comes up, right, as we have patients who are who have both thyroid disease and celiac disease, as you mentioned. So I think it's just, number one, important for us as physicians to remember that this is potentially an issue, right? If we have a patient with both conditions and we need to treat them, for example, with thyroid hormone, with levothyroxine, then I need to be aware that that could be an issue. And remember to, to try to prescribe one of the formulations that doesn't have gluten in it. Sometimes that requires like special authorizations and so forth, but that's partly on me. I would also say it's helpful for patients, right? Folks who have celiac disease, they're always thinking about gluten, so just to remember that medications are also potential sources of gluten. And so, for example, if you have celiac disease and you're going to see a doctor about thyroid disease, and they're saying, "Oh, I'm going to prescribe you this medication," to always have that trigger, be like, "Oh, new medication. Let me tell my doctor, by the way, remember I have celiac disease." Also, pharmacists are, can be helpful here. If you go to pick up your medication, ask the pharmacist, hey, by the way, does this contain gluten? Because pharmacists will have that information. And they can then alert the physician and say, hey, your patient actually needs a gluten-free form of this. So I think just better awareness on the part of everyone involved.
0: Absolutely. So you're a pediatric endocrinologist. So let's talk about the differences between kids with thyroid disease and adults. Are the symptoms the same in kids as in adults?
2: Yeah. So so broadly similar, right? The symptoms can be similar. I think the thing that is most different about kids and adults is that kids are growing and developing. Right? So adults are fully grown, they're fully developed, but kids are growing. They're going through physical development, puberty at a certain stage. They're also in school. So we may see in pediatrics, if hypothyroidism particularly gets to a severe enough point, we may see them decreases in growth, sometimes it affects school performance, things like that, or may delay their pubertal development. Those are things that you might not see in adults. But aside from that, symptoms are broadly similar, maybe things like fatigue, constipation, feeling cold. Although I have to say, kids in general, in my experience, tend to be pretty tolerant of hypothyroidism particularly. And so very you know mild hypothyroidism, Oftentimes, kids don't really have any symptoms. If you ask me, like, what's the most common symptom of hypothyroidism? The most common thing is no symptoms at all. So there are lots of people who just don't really notice. Now, they may, once they're treated, they may feel better. So they sort of didn't realize, as they were kind of used to it, how they were feeling. But a lot of the kids we see, even with modest hypothyroidism, really don't feel that different.
0: So what is the like average time to diagnosis for a child, or like how does a child typically get to you? It sounds like these symptoms are so common of other childhood ailments or things that you wouldn't think that much of.
2: Yeah, so time to diagnosis obviously is hard to know, right? Because we never know once we see them like how long it's been going on. But autoimmune thyroiditis, particularly, right, that's the most common cause of thyroid problems, and it's is a chronic process. So it, it happens over time, you know, weeks, months, even years. It's not going to happen all of a sudden. So sometimes people are diagnosed because of symptoms, right? They may have fatigue or weight gain or constipation, and maybe their physician will check their thyroid function to evaluate that. Or sometimes it's growth issues, right? Their, their growth is slowing down, which, by the way, can also be assigned celiac, right? Kids do not grow well if they have celiac that's unrecognized or under-treated. Sometimes it's picked up just kind of incidentally. They go to the doctor and for whatever reason, they do sort of a thyroid panel. Sometimes it's from screening for other related disorders, for example celiac or type 1 diabetes, which is also an immune problem. We screen those kids for thyroid problems. There's a variety of ways that that it gets detected, sometimes symptomatic and sometimes through screening or other, other testing for other things.
0: If the kids are generally asymptomatic, do they need to be treated?
2: So that depends, the the treatment is really, it's based more on the severity of the hypothyroidism than whether they have symptoms or not. So those things are somewhat related, right, if if the hypothyroidism is very mild, then you're unlikely to have symptoms and you're probably less likely to need treatment. If your hypothyroidism is a little more severe, we're probably going to treat you whether or not you have symptoms. because. As I said, you know, thyroid hormone affects a lot of different organ systems, even if you don't feel it, right? It affects your heart function and your GI function and your metabolic rate and your cholesterol. So even if you don't feel some of those things, if it's severe enough, we would treat it.
0: And how about the treatments? Are the treatments the same as in kids and adults?
2: Yeah, so the the main treatment for, again, hypothyroidism, which is much more common, the treatment is a medication called levothyroxine, which is, it is exactly the same chemical no natural thyroid hormone that your body makes it's just given in the form of a pill and so we just Replace that in the form of a pill and that's the same thing you would give to adults It's very easy to take it's once a day It can be swallowed chewed sucked on it's it's very simple medication to give So that's a similar thing to what you would see in the adult population
0: So before I let you go, do you have any words of encouragement for others out there like Bella who have both celiac disease and hypothyroidism on just the quality of life and how to, you know, get through life in a happy, healthy way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I realize it's it's frustrating, right? When you have a chronic condition and then you think you're doing everything you can and then something else is sort of added on top. So I guess I would say, number one, don't beat yourself up. It's not anything that you did, right? This is just, Unfortunately, the way that your body is, has a tendency to develop these kind of conditions. So it's something that we have to deal with. Having said that, the thyroid piece in most people is not too big a deal to manage. Particularly, to be honest, compared to celiac, which is sort of an everyday, all the time, always being aware of everything you're putting in your mouth or interacting with. That really, I think, has a huge mental burden for folks. Thyroid disease, fortunately, in most people, is pretty easy to manage. You take a pill once a day, we have to check blood levels every so often, a little more often in younger kids, a little less often, by the time you get to be an adult, it's often every six months or even every year. So that, if you can sort of take your pill once a day and get your levels checked, in most people it's pretty easy to manage. So I would say, don't let that weigh too much on you and sort of stick with your medication. Hopefully that piece will be relatively straightforward.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wassner, for all of this wonderful information. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have Sharon Weston, a dietitian at Boston Children's Hospital, here to talk about strategies for maintaining a strict gluten-free diet, even when it feels like it's not helping. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our podcast sponsor, the Global Autoimmune Institute.
3: The Global Autoimmune Institute works to empower solutions in the diagnosis and treatment of autoimmune diseases through research, education, and awareness, while supporting multidisciplinary approaches to health. We are thrilled to support the production of
1: this educational podcast.
0: Welcome back and welcome, Sharon, to the podcast. So, Sharon... When I was interviewing Bella about her story, and she used the terms feeling defeated and depressed when she got the second diagnosis, I knew we needed your wisdom on how patients can deal with the devastating news of a second diagnosis. So what is your approach with patient families where there are two diseases they have to deal with and they feel as though the gluten-free diet hasn't actually prevented anything?
3: Yeah, this is such a difficult thing. We know that the only treatment for celiac disease is to follow a gluten-free diet strictly. And this can be a challenge. It's really important to take advantage of different support systems, which can include your physicians, your dietitian, celiac team providers, which would include people that are from social work or even different peer supports from different support groups or family, and also focusing on foods that are naturally gluten-free in the diet so that you're not just thinking about what you can't have can also help.
0: Adherence to the gluten-free diet is key with celiac disease. And it's hard to be told that despite your constant vigilance with the treatment for one disease, that you now have another. Can you tell our listeners why it's important to continue sticking to the gluten-free diet even though they might think it hasn't seemed to prevent development of another condition?
3: Yeah, again, right now, the gluten-free diet is the only treatment for celiac disease. And following a gluten-free diet is going to help optimize your nutritional status it's going to keep you healthy, but it's not really related to preventing the development of other autoimmune conditions.
0: So Bella was an adult when she received her dual diagnosis, but for a young child, there are the emotions of both the child and of the parents, and they don't always align. As we learned from last month's episode, parents can often be the drivers of hypervigilance. How do we help parents understand the difference between appropriate vigilance and hypervigilance?
3: Well, first off, we want to try to live life the way that we did before just on a gluten-free diet now. And so that means doing your due diligence with regards to learning how to read labels and preventing cross-contamination and following a balanced gluten-free diet. So by doing some work in advance to understand how to do these things with competence, but not with fear, is important so that you can still enjoy life and all different activities. Can
0: you tell our listeners what a hypervigilant activity might look like?
3: So just like not going to parties or not going out to restaurants anymore would be a a good example, you know? And those things can really happen still by following a gluten-free diet, just doing some prep work in advance.
0: Absolutely. We wanna really make sure that these families are getting to enjoy life and having that, you know, normal experience across, you know, being a kid, being a teenager, going to college and living life as a normal adult would. Absolutely. So our patient, Bella, thankfully, didn't budge with her compliance with the gluten-free diet. But as you know, this isn't always the case for other patients. How would you counsel a patient who decides they want to go back to eating gluten because they just don't believe it's working? Mm.
3: So unfortunately, this is something we see, especially if a patient doesn't have obvious symptoms when they're exposed to gluten. However, again, we know that following a gluten-free diet is the treatment for celiac disease. And we also know that Exposure to just 50 milligrams of gluten, which is about 170th of a piece of bread, can cause damage to intestines. And so it's really something that we don't want to have happen, causing that damage in, in the intestinal tract.
0: So, if a patient is struggling with their gluten free diet, how can they get the help they need both nutritionally and emotionally?
3: use your dietitian. (laughs) We really can help in so many different ways. And I really encourage families to use their dietitian often. And we can come up with different food ideas, recipe ideas. Support groups are also a super important thing to take advantage of. So the Celiac Support Group has ways to help kids of all ages, through college and can be very helpful to just tap into that peer support component. So I think that just taking advantage of all of those different options can really be helpful.
0: I would also like to add that you can attend cooking classes. And I think cooking classes are a fantastic way to continue to be engaged in the gluten-free diet. And if you haven't attended one of Sharon's amazing monthly cooking classes, you absolutely should. So check out the Celiac Kids Connection, which you can find at celiackidsconnection.org to get the link to register for Sharon's free classes. And I know, Sharon, you're off to prepare for one today. Yeah. So I think the recipes you're doing today are Teriyaki meatballs and teriyaki rice bowls, which I think sounds so exciting. You often think that meatballs and teriyaki sauce can't be made gluten-free. So how are you making them magically gluten-free today?
3: Oh, yeah, this is a fun recipe. So we are doing chicken meatballs with gluten-free breadcrumbs in them, but also we're mixing in grated zucchini and super easy to make in the oven. They come out and it's enough to feed six people with just one pound of ground chicken. So it's just a very quick, easy recipe. And then we're making a stir fried vegetable on the side and brown rice, and then we're making our own homemade gluten-free teriyaki sauce with tamari and some honey and a little cornstarch.
0: Well, it sounds delicious. I will let you go now so that you can get prepared for the class. But thank you so much, Sharon, and to Dr. Wassner for all of the amazing wisdom you shared today. So now let's skip ahead to my favorite part where we find out where Bella is today.
1: Today, Bella is 41 years old. She is feeling much better about life than when she got her initial Hashimoto diagnosis. She follows a strict gluten-free diet and takes levothyroxine daily. She has regular follow-up visits with her gastroenterologist and endocrinologist and generally feels healthy and lives a full life. Her younger son, Casper, was diagnosed with celiac disease last year at nine years old after his pediatrician started investigating ongoing anemia and skin rashes. Her entire family is supportive of the gluten-free diet and in fact, just returned from a family vacation on the celiac cruise. In her own words, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you if you said I would end up with two autoimmune diseases, and I'm devastated I passed one on to my son. But today, I'm feeling like the diagnosis was a blessing in disguise, as it has led my family to where we are today. I am now part of a community of families with celiac disease where everyone gets it. We've become best friends with others who are living the same life as us, and we are genuinely happy.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Raising Celiac. Special thanks to the generous contribution from the Global Autoimmune Institute to make this podcast possible. A reminder to all physicians, nurses, social workers, dietitians, and psychologists. To claim your continuing education credits for listening to today's episode, please visit dme.childrenshospital.org and complete the short survey attached to this episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to write a review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, check us out on social at at Boston Children's Celiac on TikTok, at Children's Celiac on Twitter, or at Celiac Kids Connection on Instagram. Have a great month.